in the room and to those of you who are worshiping with us online. As always, we're grateful that you're here as we continue our worship series, Define Reality, Offer Hope. It's rooted in the fundamental leadership principle that every good leader should define reality. Don't sugarcoat it, don't massage it. Good, bad, or indifferent, define reality accurately and effectively. And then offer hope. Hope isn't a Pollyannish, pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation of what is to come. Hope has an energy that arouses the heart and mind to explore every possibility of how to embrace what's next. Define reality. Offer hope. Past couple of weeks, we've been looking at letters written by the Apostle Paul, that prolific first century church planter an author who planted approximately 15 churches and and then wrote letters of encouragement and instruction and, and clarity. And those were so widely circulated, so widely accepted that they eventually made their way in and and helped comprise our Bible, making up about half of the New Testament. And we're going to be in another one of his letters, the one that he wrote to the church at Corinth. But before we get to that passage, I just wanted to share some of what I've experienced over the past couple of weeks and how it has informed and and shaped me to where we have this morning's discussion around unity. A couple of weeks ago, my employer, the Baptist General Association of Virginia, a ministry partner with Gate, we hosted a webinar entitled Revolutionary Civility. It was led by Jim Balcom. Jim is the pastor of Columbia Baptist Church in Falls Church, Virginia. Jim is a friend, and in this webinar, he was sharing some of his experiences, some of his insights, some of his learnings of what it means to to pastor a church in today's polarized political environment, especially a church that's located within the Beltway in very close proximity to, to the hub of our federal government. And it struck me, you know, Jim described his church as purple. He said, we cover the spectrum. We've got dyed-in-the-wool blue Democrats, we've got dyed-in-the-wool red Republicans, and we've got people in between. So they cover the political spectrum. And he shared a, a graphic related to some research that the Pew Institute had done They conduct polls over a number of years on a variety of topics. And this particular poll was a question they asked. Do you consider yourself consistently conservative or consistently progressive or somewhere in between? And the graphic showed that back in 1994 a little over 25 years ago, that the graph came out and it looked like a mountain. It was a mountain because the variety of people were amassed in the middle. If you think about the extremes on either end, they they were low in number. More people were were in the middle, that that place of of conversation and listening, of, of, of trying to work things out. And then 10 years later, when they asked that question in 2004, that mountain had begun to flatten out. People in the middle were starting to move to the extremes in in both directions. 
And then, three years ago in 2017, what had started off as a mountain and then moved to where it was flat was now completely inverted. And that the middle ground had pretty much evaporated as people had moved to the outer edges. And that number had increased greatly. You know, we considered this briefly last week when we were talking about the groanings of creation. And I mentioned the groaning of the political environment has evolved because people have moved to the extremes. And, and no matter the issue, there's this view of I'm right and you're wrong. The middle has given way to the extremes. And then I've been on Zoom calls the past several weeks with pastors across the commonwealth and they're in every kind of church rural small large suburban urban anywhere in between that they, they cover the gamut one thing that's been consistent in all of these conversations is the level of exhaustion that pastors and ministerial staff are experiencing physically emotionally Mentally, spiritually exhausted. And it's because this mentality of I'm right and you're wrong is infiltrating every perspective of life. I mean, pastors are hearing on each side of every conversation and they're caught in the middle. You know, they're hearing, you know, why in the world? Did you bow to the state and quit having us gather in person for worship? How could you have done that? How could you have already brought us back to gather to worship in person? It's not safe. Why are you making me wear a mask? Why are you not making us wear a mask? Why are you preaching so much on race? Why are you not preaching more? own race. You get the picture? They're caught in the middle of these conversations. Can you imagine what it would be like to live and work in an environment where no matter what decision you made, somebody was going to be upset. And you were going to hear about it because of the perspective, I'm right and you're wrong. Had a conversation with, with a colleague this past week. He pastors a church in, in the Richmond area. And he was talking about a conversation he had with a church member. A church member he hadn't seen in a while, so he called to, to check on him. And this church member had, had owned a, a barbershop. And my friend, that, that's where he went to get his hair cut. Well, of course, during, during COVID, when, when those got shut down, he had, to, he had to make another decision. And so he, he asked his wife to start cutting his hair. Risky proposition. My wife would say, get your mask and go to the barbershop. So his wife started cutting his hair. And she did a great job. So she continued to cut his hair, and he never returned to the barbershop. So when he called his friend, his church member, how you doing? Hadn't seen you. Of course, there were the frustrations of closing his business and reopening it. And he said, well, you know, he said, since I've reopened, you've not returned to get your hair cut. And since you're not supporting me, I'm not going to support you or the church. 
gone because of that. I'm right, and you're wrong. And then someone suggested that I watch Andy Stanley's sermon at North, North Point from last Sunday. And in the context of his sermon, Andy was explaining the rationale and the reaction related to the church's decision to not reopen, to not regather in person for worship until January of 2021. And some families were leaving the church. People who had been invested in the life of the church for a number of years. And so Andy, he called them up, wanting them to hear a little more of the rationale, but also he wanted to hear them out about what their concerns might be or, or what's going on. And you know, it was interesting when he described several of these conversations. And that he, he said, you know, once he really convinced them that it was him, he's pastor of a really large church. Some of them couldn't imagine why he would be calling. And when they finally got to that level, he said it was interesting how much appreciation and enthusiasm these people had for the church at North Point. How much they valued who the church was and how they had supported them. Some speaking of that the church helped strengthen and, and even save their marriage and how the church helped them parent children and, and teenage children through difficult times and just story and story over and over of how appreciative they were, were of how their lives had been changed because of the ministry there. They had been there eight, nine, ten plus years. They were invested in the church had invested in them. But then now, because of one decision or one sermon, all of that good, all of that relationship, all of that life shared together, at times transformational, it didn't matter. Gone. He called it cancel culture. The idea that people can be in relationship and share so many aspects and important times in life. But then because something is said, something is done, or a particular decision is made, none of that matters. Cancel. I'm out. And so this is what's been rolling around in, in my heart and mind over these past couple of weeks, the Experiences that have been shared by fellow colleagues and pastors. That I'm right and you're wrong. The cancel culture. That has shaped my perspective on scripture we're going to engage this morning. We're going to begin in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We're going to start in, in the first chapter with a single verse, verse 10. And then we're going to move to another part of the letter. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same purpose. Corinth was a strategically located and important city. 
it controlled two ports. So its economic vitality and significance could not be understated. Now, originally Corinth was Greek, and then it got overrun and rebuilt by the Roman Empire. So you've got this interesting melting pot of Greek and Roman culture, religions, cults. You could say that it was a a hotbed of immorality and vice. And so here sits the Corinthian church in this important and strategic location there to share the love of Jesus Christ. And word gets back to Paul that there's conflict. That there are divisions that have emerged within the life of the church. There are some there that have been mentored and taught by Paul, you know, who helped found the church. And there's others that have been mentored and taught by Apollos, a, a, a good teacher in his own right. And so they were lining themselves up saying, well, we're of Paul. And others are saying, well, we're of Apollos. And Paul is writing to them and saying, no, that makes no sense. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's about Jesus Christ. That's why he said, be in agreement. No divisions. United in the same mind, in the same spirit. So so let's sit with that for a little bit. Be in agreement. Well, you, you know, the joke among Baptists is where three Baptists are gathered together, you're guaranteed to have at least five opinions. When you're congregationally organized, there are going to be differences. Does unity preclude there being any differences? Does unity require uniformity? That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, Paul's got, got a fairly sophisticated view of this. We're going to move ahead to the 12th chapter, the same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and pick it up in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, and another to the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Paul's acknowledging that there are going to be differences of giftedness. That there's going to be a variety. That there are going to be differences that exist in the body of Christ. And he says, it's because of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
has gifted us each differently. And it is the Holy Spirit that brings and knits those together to form the body. So however many differences there are, and the distinctiveness that each person brings to the body, we have to remain focused on the basis of our unity. The basis of our Christian unity is the death of Christ. Remember that from two weeks ago? Buried in death with Christ. The basis of our Christian unity is the death of Christ and God. Who brings about new life through the resurrected Christ. So our Christian unity. What we all have in common. Is the fact that every one of us. Here via the web. No matter where you're located. Every one of us is a sinner. In need of the forgiveness and grace of God. That is what unifies us. That is what brings us together. And we need to take note that we don't create that unity. I mean, that unity was created by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have been entrusted to steward and maintain that unity within the body of Christ. That unity... That diversity finds its greatest expression in what Paul has outlined for us in the 12th chapter. You know, as we have each been created, we are the handiwork of God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And as such, that handiwork, as we each are an art, each a handiwork of God, The diversity is in its fullest and greatest display within the life of the church. For that is what Paul is speaking to here. Now what's happened in Corinth is they've begun to view these gifts. They've started to view this diversity, these differences, as some being greater than the other. They view that that some are more valuable and some are more necessary than others. So so basically what they're saying is there are some people that are more important than others in what they do, in what they bring. And that's what's created the division. It's It's a cautionary lesson to all of us within the body of Christ of how we handle the differences and the diversity that exists Within the body. I mean, think about the many ways that this church has differences and has diversity. I mean, think about the the variety of small groups. Small groups are so important to the life of the church because it's a place where individually we can be share life with a group of people in which we can be encouraged, in which we can grow spiritually, in which we can do ministry together, in which we can share life together. And it's so important to have those. Where we have to be careful is that doesn't become our primary identity. Just like the people in Corinth were lining up behind a particular teacher or mentor, we have to be careful of that in the local church, of lining up with a particular staff member or with a particular small group to say, you know, 
well, I'm discerning the truth, or I'm connections, or I'm cornerstones. It's important to be part of those groups. Any group where we have to be careful and where Corinth cautions us is that that doesn't become our primary identity to where we begin to view those that have a different perspective as maybe not being as important. That's what's happening in Corinth. The same thing can happen because of worship. I pastored a church where when I arrived had one worship service that was very liturgical, very formal. And then we started a second service so that we could have another means to connect with our community. And as soon as that happened, there's conflict. There was this sibling rivalry of who was better. What was bringing greater value to the church. The same can happen here. Any place there's more than one worship service, we need to be careful. Because of the primary identity becomes, well, I'm celebration or I'm nexus. We could begin to view one as more valuable or more important than the other. Now, let me be clear, because some of you will, will go to lunch and say, can you believe that David said, I want to be clear about what I'm saying here. Having the choices and the preferences is important. It's a good thing that you can choose to worship based on a preference or a time or a location. Because having those choices, again, provides more portals to connect with the community so it is invaluable that they exist. The cautionary tale from Corinth and where we have to be careful is that it doesn't lead to a viewing of one as more important and one as less than. Because that's what was happening in Corinth based on gifts. It can happen anywhere. Paul is telling us to be united in the same mind and the same purpose. As the church, we gather to worship, to bring our praises to God who is glory of our is worthy and of, of our worship and to bring glory to his name. And we are also called together to be equipped. So that we can then go and share that love of God with the world. Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 17. This is what we call the, the high priestly prayer. Jesus is, is not long going to be betrayed and, and sent to the cross. And he has this prayer. That he prays on behalf of the disciples that are with him. But he also prays it on behalf of the believers and followers that are to come. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus prayed to God specifically on our behalf. Picking it up in verse 22. John chapter 17, verse 22. 
the glory, remember, this is Jesus, the glory that you, God, have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That is so powerful. And that's where our hope lies because that's what Jesus, Jesus is interceding on our behalf in uttering this prayer to God for us now and moving forward. And that is so important and it's so hopeful because interim times in the life of the church I've seen it in so many churches. The interim times can become a time where the seeds of discord can be easily sown. Because people think, ha, here's my chance. I'm right, you're wrong. I can fix this. It can so easily happen. And that's where we have to live this prayer. That Jesus uttered on our behalf. That we be united in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Because our unity reflects on God. Our unity honors God. Our unity is the fuel for ministry. And the world needs to see that modeled because in too many instances, in too many circumstances, in too many situations, people have run to the polls. I'm right. You're wrong. And there's instant, instant cutoff. We, as the body of Christ, have been called forth to live out this prayer. So here's my question. Think about your family. Think about your work. Think about your church. Think about your community. In what ways are you sowing the seeds of hope and unity in what ways are you of the same mind and the same purpose that we can truly live this prayer of Jesus that he prayed on our behalf how are you doing